Hey friends, we're taking a quick break from our Boss Barista Takeover this week. Folks are super busy working on their projects, and we're going to have lots to share with you soon. So this week, we're going to revisit an episode from April of 2020. Sarah Nguyen is the founder of Nguyen Coffee Supply, a coffee brand based in New York that's dedicated to promoting specialty Vietnamese coffee. In this episode, we talk about why Vietnam, which is the world's second largest producer of coffee beans, goes largely ignored in the specialty coffee industry. Then we take the question one step further, and we ask, what makes a thing special in the first place? So without further ado, here is our episode from April 2020 with Sarah Nguyen. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. What does specialty coffee mean to you? If you work in coffee, it might signal one thing. If you don't work in coffee, it might mean something else completely. The word specialty implies something unique or different, or dare I say special, something that makes a thing different from just regular coffee, right? Classifying something as a specialty item implies the existence of the regular, the mundane, the not special. Today we're going to break down just what specialty is and what makes a thing special with Sarah Nguyen, the founder of Nguyen Coffee Supply in Brooklyn, New York. Sarah was a filmmaker and owned a restaurant in New York and often found herself in coffee shops that had some of the quote-unquote signals of specialty coffee, coffees from a single origin, for example. She'd see all these coffees from Ethiopia, Honduras, Indonesia, and wonder, what about Vietnam? Sarah is Vietnamese-American and would regularly see restaurants and cafes advertising Vietnamese iced coffee, but often she found that they didn't actually use coffees from Vietnam in those drinks. As she questioned this, why would a coffee drink claiming to be from Vietnam not have coffee from Vietnam grown in it? She encountered these broader questions about specialty. Vietnam is the second largest producer of coffee in the world, and the first largest producer of Robusta coffee. So why couldn't she order a coffee from Vietnam at her local cafe? Why couldn't she get a Vietnamese iced coffee with coffee from Vietnam in it? Coffees from Vietnam don't get talked about a lot in the specialty market. You don't see them winning barista competitions, and you likely can't order them by name at most cafes. But if you've had instant coffee, if you've had something from a can, if you've had any sort of diner coffee, you have had Vietnamese coffee. So what is it? Why isn't it talked about in the specialty world? In this episode, we explore what it means for a product to be considered special, and we ask, is specialty inherent or is it created? Here's Sarah. this story kind of start for you? Like, when did you start getting interested in Vietnamese coffee specifically? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm Vietnamese American and my parents are Vietnamese. Um, they're, they're both refugees. They escaped the country after the Vietnam war. Um, and so for me, like Vietnamese coffee as a culture, has always been a part of my life. You know, I've, um, experienced it growing up. And also when I would go back to Vietnam, um, throughout my childhood and my teenage years and a lot in my adult years, um, Drinking Vietnamese coffee or like um, Cafe Fiend or Cafe Sira um, was always like a big part of my cultural experience. Um, but really entering, in terms of my journey entering into like the coffee space as a professional, it it's really a new journey. Um, 
I, I would say in like around 2016 was when the idea first started brewing for me. I had a small restaurant here in Brooklyn. And so I've always been a part of like the food and beverage community. And around, you know, 2015, 16, like Vietnamese food and culture was really having its moment in the culinary world, um, especially in New York City. We were seeing the emergence of like so many amazing first generation, more modernized Vietnamese American restaurants and on a similar wavelength I noticed that Vietnamese coffee was also trending um, like I would go into non-Vietnamese cafes and restaurants and I would just see the words Vietnamese coffee on a menu and I thought oh this is so exciting like Vietnamese coffee is having a moment right now right outside of the Vietnamese um, restaurants or the mom and pop restaurants in Chinatown but actually what I was noticing was that like a lot of these places were putting Vietnamese coffee in the menus, but they weren't even using Vietnamese coffee beans, right? And I would ask them because I would drink it. I would it would taste totally not like the Vietnamese coffee I knew. And I would ask them like, "Oh, how do you make this Vietnamese coffee?" And they would say they use like their cold brew, their house cold brew, or like their drip, or like their house espresso, and they added condensed milk, right? And oftentimes these beans were not Vietnamese coffee beans. They might have been like a bean from South America. America or or Africa and they were treating it calling it Vietnamese coffee because they added condensed milk to it right so I mean right. in, in Vietnamese culture there is a culture I mean there is a style where people use condensed milk but it's not a requirement but most of all it's not like the the core piece of Vietnamese coffee the core piece is Vietnamese coffee beans and so I thought that was really interesting that as a culture, people were interested in Vietnamese coffee, but in terms of like as a product, it really wasn't accessible or being utilized. And I think the biggest issue for me there, I mean, as a Vietnamese American, I felt like a huge level of injustice being done because I felt like um, Vietnamese people and Vietnamese producers were not benefiting from this transaction, right? Um, in this yeah, I'm wondering, like, at what point, though, did you did you see this problem and decide, like, oh, I can fix this or not fix it, maybe. But like, how can I be like a change maker in this process? Yeah, because that's a huge jump. It was it was a really big jump. And, and the way it happened was I was like, OK, well, why are they using Vietnamese coffee beans? And I was like, well, you know what? I want to I want to make some Vietnamese coffee right now. And so I would go into the grocery stores and I go into every like coffee shop and cafe and I would look for a single origin Vietnamese coffee bean and actually I could not find it and that's when like the light bulb kind of like went off and I and I was shocked that I couldn't find it because you know especially third wave movie was all about like all these different single origins right and being so transparent I was finding coffee from all around the world but not one transparently Vietnamese coffee bean so that's when I was like oh well maybe I should bring it here and so so yeah how did that even start like what was the first step to even begin thinking let me bring this coffee here and start importing it yeah so that was that idea first came to me in 2016 and I remember like in fall of 2016 I was going to Vietnam to visit some family relatives and I was actually on the way to Cambodia to film one of my documentaries at the time um when I was before I started the coffee company, I was uh, a full-time journalist and documentary filmmaker. So I just hit up, and most of my relatives, most of my extended family are still in Vietnam. Um, and so I hit them up, and I was like, hey, I'm coming to Vietnam. And I was like, I'm curious, question, does anybody know anyone um, who has a coffee farm or who has access to one? And my aunt was like, oh, actually, I do know someone. Someone I used to work with at my company left the company to take over his family farm. And so my aunt lives in Hanoi, which is in the north. And then his farm, Antien, who's my current producing partner, his farm is in Dalat, which is in like the central region. So we arranged a trip where we flew from Hanoi to Dalat to meet up with him. This was in 2016. And that was pretty much the beginning of our relationship. Just from there, you were like, this is happening. Let's bring this over here. I mean, it didn't happen that fast. So in 2016, like, uh, we went to his farm. Uh, you know, I met Antian. He gave us a tour. And I was just super excited and inspired by his passion for clean coffee. Um, 
and you know for organic coffee because you know in the in vietnam there is a movement uh, around like clean coffee it's called cafe sat or um pure coffee cafe nguyen chat because for so long um the coffee over there is known to be blended with fillers such as soybeans or corn or artificial ingredients oils or butters but now with the new generation there is a movement for like clean and pure coffee right and my producing partner is very passionate about that as well um so you know for the rest of 2017 it not much had happened but i was just like constantly thinking and doing a lot of research and a lot of like self-learning through the internet and asking friends and then it wasn't until 2018 when i was like okay i'm ready to make this happen and that's when i started actively building the business from the beginning of 2018. that's amazing um i want to ask you a little more about just like the personality grit it takes to start a business but i want to go backwards a little bit on the historical context that Vietnamese coffee existed. So as you were doing research, like what were you finding out about Vietnamese coffee and like how did that historical context kind of inform the way that Vietnamese coffee was being viewed at that moment, like in 2016, 2017? Oh, yeah, that's such a great question because, like, yeah, I was doing a lot of research about just the coffee industry and Vietnamese coffee and also exploring this question of, like, why doesn't Vietnamese coffee um, exist in the U.S.? or I, why why couldn't why I couldn't find it and actually I was so surprised to to learn that Vietnam is the second largest producer of coffee in the world like when I learned that fact I it was like my mind was blown I was like oh my god Vietnam is the second largest producer of coffee in the world yet I didn't even know that and I'm Vietnamese right and a lot of people don't know that so that all of these like learnings just started to fuel my motivation more to increase the transparency here. And then the more I dug, I also discovered that the United States is the second largest importer of Vietnam's coffee beans. And then I was like, oh my God, like mind blown, right? So here we have this economic relationship that has that already exists between Vietnam and the US, but there's no transparency around it, right? And it generally, Americans don't associate coffee production with Vietnam. And so this for me was just like, this is really interesting what's happening here because it's not like I'm trying to introduce a new sector, right? Or a new product, right? It just feels new because on a cultural awareness level, we don't know about it. So that really blew my mind and just gave me a lot more um, motivation to to write this injustice, to bring more visibility to a major contributor to the global coffee experience and to, you know, increase the representation of Vietnamese folks and to, you know, folks in America probably have already consumed Vietnamese coffee beans and some of their products, whether they're aware of it or not. And I just wanted to build out that connection more between what folks may or may, or may not be familiar with, with where it's coming from. It seems like, so you were living in New York at the time and you said that you would try to find coffees from Vietnam, especially like 2016, 2017. Like we already were pretty aware in most coffee shops that like you could get a coffee from a single origin. You could ask for a coffee from Honduras or Ethiopia or Mm -hmm. Sumatra. Um, Mm -hmm. So the idea that like Vietnamese coffee is there and most people have probably drank it, but they just don't know it is really interesting. So I was wondering, like, if you could talk a little bit about the perception of quality in terms of Vietnamese coffee, because I think if you ask them a specialty coffee folks, they'd probably be like, oh, I've heard Vietnamese coffee is bad, or I actually have no idea yeah. what Vietnamese coffee tastes like. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really great question. Um, so what I was finding online, you know, on like all the blogs and like all the sites, it was this this general like common sentiment of Vietnamese coffee is inferior. Like literally the adjectives inferior kept popping up. And I was like, and again, as a Vietnamese American, I was like, well, that's not nice, right? And also as a like my experience of Vietnamese coffee is so different right? I've never seen it as inferior. I've seen it as integral and delicious and comforting, right? And so that for me is just like a pure um, societal and social context, right? And just 
and just constructs of ideas. So I already on a personal level just didn't agree with it because I was like, well, that's not my experience. And I know I'm not the only one, right? Because there are a lot of people in the world who drink Vivi's coffee. And then, um, you know, then the blogs and the people and everyone I would talk to would say, yeah, Vietnamese coffee is inferior or or even if you want to get more specific, they'd say, oh, Robusta beans are inferior and Arabica beans are superior. And that also just was like such like a shocker. And, I, and I, again, that didn't resonate with me because I was just like, how could varietals, why are we talking about varietals in a hierarchy, right? We can talk about how treatment and production can be better or worse for the environment or better or worse for the consumer, but it just wasn't, it didn't feel fair or right at all to um, to throw all these labels of hierarchy onto two different types of varieties, right? So that was what I was getting. And then, yeah, and as I was interacting with some folks in the coffee space, um, I just felt like people were, a lot of people were just regurgitating um, old ways of thinking or, or regurgitating what they've been, what they've heard, what they've been told. But then if I asked them, oh, have you ever had a single origin Vietnamese coffee bean? And they, they would all say no, right? Or I'd say, have you ever roasted a single origin robusta bean? They'd all say no. Well, like, have you ever even tried or brewed 100% robusta beans that were single origin Vietnamese? And they would say no, right? So that blew my mind that people had such strong opinions um, around these coffee beans and, and robusta beans, but they actually had never um, actually experienced it. And that for me just showed the power of just um, narratives or like old narratives and old ways of thinking, right? However, I do want to point out actually like, you know, there is some truth to this, to, to these ideas, right? Of Vietnamese coffee beans being a different level of quality and that there is some truth to that because Vietnam's coffee industry for so long has been channeled into like mass market coffee right or like large volumes of coffee products um so and I think when that's happening um with the products are being sold at a lower rate that's just going to control the pricing, right? And also control the care that we have as producers or as buyers for the production of the coffee, right? So I think, but that is a systematic thing and that's a control thing and that's a construct of the value we place on a product, which which affects what we're willing to pay for it, which then again, doesn't create any incentives for producers to change or improve like their production, right? Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but the idea that that quality is inherent is kind of a problematic way to think about things, especially now that you've explained a lot of the kind of like the ways that Vietnamese coffee has been funneled into our culture where it's like we have designated it as this like lower grade thing. We put it in instant coffee. We've controlled it so that like its value is lower. And then when we suddenly start to prize coffee in a different way because specialty coffee is still a fairly new way of consuming coffee um, to say that like Vietnamese coffee doesn't make the cut is really interesting because it it assumes quality issues when really it's a social construct and it's an issue of like well we funneled this coffee to be in this other space for so long and then we never gave it a moment to be at the level that we consider specialty coffee to be exactly exactly and, and you know what and there's and I will say that there's there's Vietnam in general as a country, as a coffee produced country, like there is a lot of work to be done, you know, across the board for it to improve its, its, um, you know, production. But that's also, like you said, because of the systems that have entrapped it in so long into a certain tier production, right? But I know because I, I know through my own direct relationships and my own interactions that there are so many people in Vietnam from consumers to, um, you know, nonprofit organizations to producers and farmers who want to be a part of the specialty coffee movement, right? They're like, wait, what? Like people are paying what for Ethiopian? They want to be a part of it because they want to improve their quality of life too, right? But if no one is looking to them to buy it, then they're not going to spend time to invest in their own production, right? Yeah, I'm wondering, once you started your company, like what what were those first couple of months like and how would you communicate like what was happening to farmers? Um, like, like what was happening to you, to farmers? Because I imagine like, you know, we live in this age of social media and the internet. Like it's not hard now, especially for farmers to see like, 
what people are paying for coffee or that there's a specialty coffee market that exists. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that like farmers want to be part of this process. And I, I imagine now it's especially super visible and you've given some visibility to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll first share in terms of when I first launched, like on the consumer end, Ashley, I was met with just so much excitement and enthusiasm, right? Like, and I think this is where within the specialty coffee space, sometimes there's a disconnect between what's happening within the industry and what's happening with consumers. Cause like within the industry, folks could say all day, like Vietnamese coffee is inferior, Vietnamese coffee isn't good. But on a consumer level, like consumers don't know about these old ways of thinking. And they, they sometimes they also just don't care. They just care what tastes good to them, right? And what they like. And so from the consumer end, we were met with just so much support and excitement um, around Vietnamese coffee as a culture um, and then also as a taste. So once people engage our product, like we've continued to get such amazing feedback around people who just say our coffee is delicious. Someone wrote, your coffee is divine the other day. Like they're like, this is the best coffee ever tasted. Like, and consumers, they don't care that it's robust. They, they, whether they care or not, it doesn't matter to them, right? All that they care about is that it tastes great. So that has been um, the reaction on that front, which has been so affirming and so nice. And it's, and for me, it's been really affirming because of course I had some, you know, not a lot, but of course I felt a little nervous about entering the industry with something that with the with a product or an idea that was just so hugely opposed, you know, or that was just that just seems so um, unpopular. But at the end of the day, I was like, whatever, like, this is what I like. And this is what I'm going to put out. And you know, I don't need I'm not here to convince anyone or I'm not here to convert anywhere. I mean, I'm just here to find the people who like what I like. And then on, um, you know, the producing side of things, you know, I right now I, I work with one farmer, um, one producer who, you know, has a team and then he, he has like a whole like network of cousins and aunts who also have farms. Um, but the last time I met with him, you know, he sells his coffee to like Japan and he also sells domestically. And I asked him, I asked, I was like, what is your dream? Like, why do you want to work together? And he said... I think it would be so cool if my coffee beans made it to America. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And that's just like this global cultural play of just like the power that America has in the eyes of others. But he said that and I was like, that's so cool. And of course, like I pay like higher rates than if he was selling to people in Vietnam or Japan, right? Um, and on top of that, he said something that was really touching. He said, you know, like in Vietnam, Vietnam, like coffee culture in Vietnam is huge because they know they're number two in the world and they know they're number one for robust in the world. And they take a lot of pride in that on top of coffee culture being a huge part of daily life. And, but, and they also know that people don't know that about them and they feel some they feel a level of sadness and pain and one time i was talking to um one of my partners and he said and what that means is vietnamese coffee has notoriety but it, no vietnamese coffee has fame but it doesn't have notoriety right so it's this idea of like once it leaves the country like it kind of gets stripped of its identity that's that's incredible. Um, I have so many feelings about all the things you just said, but um, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of quality because something that like is was kind of I would imagine a big hurdle for you is that you kind of had to redefine quality a little bit. Um, obviously, you had your customers kind of telling you what they like and they don't like, um, but kind of existing in this space where like. Vietnamese coffee has been disregarded as like a quality coffee. Like, how did you kind of start to think about redefining what quality meant? Um, and how, like, did you have to kind of break out of like ideas of like what was good or what was bad? Or like even for yourself, think about like what, how do I present a thing that I'm super confident in that maybe the rest of the industry hasn't seen yet? Yeah, it's so, it's such a great question. Um, and, and to be honest, actually, I've, I've, you know, dealt with by share of insecurities around this question too of like I'm entering an industry that has certain standards expectations or quality or specialty 
And, you know, our coffee has never been graded. You know, I've, I, in a lot of ways, I, you know, I, I haven't engaged with certain um, expectations within the industry because I'm not a veteran of the industry, to be honest, right? I, this, I've, I entered this, this, this space like three, three years ago, maybe, you know, maybe four. And if I was going with standards expectations, I would never be importing robusta beans, right? So our coffee has never been graded because I simply just don't care to meet that, um, that level of expectation or, or standard or validation. You know, I just care so much more about the people um, within my ecosystem. I care so much about my relationship with my partner um, and my partner and how, how that relationship is going. And I care so much about my relationship with my customers and what they think. And like, at the end of the day, like, do they like this coffee? Like, that's what matters to me. Um, and quality, you know, of course, in terms of production, like my, like when I met my part, my producing partner, I felt like I got really lucky because I met someone who just, who was also just so passionate about the clean coffee movement in Vietnam and his company, you know, is like awarded top, top 20 companies in the country for like organic um, practices. And so people will ask me like, oh, do you have any certifications? And we have no certifications, right? To be totally honest, because certifications, again, are very expensive, they're inaccessible, and my producing partner would not necessarily know how to navigate the bureaucracy um, of getting certified and or would have the resources to do that, right? Um, and, and I remember I was on a panel recently at Coffee Fest um, with Rose Magazine and someone from the and it was me and two other roasters. And someone asked the question of, oh, do you care about certifications when you're buying green beans? And I was so nervous about this question because I know that I didn't deal with certification. And the other two also said, no, we don't care about certification, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. And I felt so validated that they said that. And and so I get, again, like these are like, we, people have, um, I think, societally have standards expectations about what is quality what is value like is it certified is it graded all these things and i think that just to an extent that could be important because there, there are systems to like validate or qualify certain things but at least for me right now within my journey and working within what i have and valuing what i have i just care more about the relationship um, rather than getting a certification and i know that my partner is i've been to his farm several times like i i've seen his process i know that he's extremely passionate about clean organic coffee and so that is how i think about quality and then of course when we roast it you know um, is it, how does it taste? Do I like it? Is it something that I'm proud to stand behind? And then do, do other people like it? That's, that's been kind of like my, um, my metrics for, for putting out a product of, of quality and value. Which totally makes sense. Like it seems like a little simplistic in a way, but at the same time, it's like, we all want things that taste good. Um, yeah. and in a way, sometimes it can feel like the way that we evaluate coffee is almost convoluted. Like if a coffee is an 88, that matters to people who are like Q graders that yeah. are experts. But exactly. if I tell a customer this coffee scored an 88, like yeah. what does that mean? It doesn't yeah, mean anything. Exactly. I think because before I became, you know, before I started the company, I think because I was that type of consumer that fell so much into that demographic of I don't know a lot about coffee. I've never used a scale before. Um, I don't know. I don't know brew ratios off the top of my head. I don't know anything about you know grading or scoring. I just know what I like, you know. And I, and as a consumer, I just felt such a disconnect from what was happening in specialty coffee. And I just felt like I, I felt like I can't be the only one, right? So when I started my company, I just again I were a people-centered company, which means we're always thinking about people every step of the way. And so that just translates into the product we produce and how we put it out and with the product we produce and how we put it out, always with thinking about the end consumer in mind rather than, you know, some other um, standards, expectations that may be valued by other people in the industry. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like, 
it feels like in a way you're very much part of the specialty coffee conversation, but in a way you almost exist outside of it. Um, because like you're doing the things that we in specialty coffee, like prize in a way, like we're like, we talk about wages for farmers. We talk about creating, helping producers like get more money for their coffee. But at the same time, when we write out a whole region, when we write out a whole country, it's like, well, is that in line with the values of specialty coffee? I would say no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know what? Thank you for saying that, Ashley, because I felt, I felt that too, you know, when I was starting the company, I was like, well, here we are at this moment in time where there's so much care in the coffee community around transparency and visibility, right? And connection. And I just felt like those values were not being applied to people in Vietnam. And so that, that, that disconnect was definitely a huge motivating factor for me to, to change it. So what has it been like having like opening a coffee shop, being in New York, with it's, which is like, you know, kind of the center of the coffee world, I would say right now in the United States and doing something totally different? Yeah. Oh, well, I, first of all, I just want to clarify that we don't have a coffee shop. We're not, we don't have a retail space. We, okay. had, we had a four month pop-up that operated five days a week, eight hours a day. So it was a pretty heavy coffee program. But right now we are mostly focusing on importing and roasting and we're, we're DSC. So we're focusing mostly on selling online. And then of course we had like some wholesale partnerships, which are now at a halt with everything happening um, with Corona. But yeah, so we're mostly focused on importing and roasting and um, selling direct to consumers online. Um, what is, go ahead, Ashley. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say like, so yeah, how do you make that sale? Like, especially in a system that's so entrenched in like certain perceptions of what coffee is like, I imagine direct to consumer was probably a little bit of an easier sell, but like, I imagine wholesale must've been a little bit more challenging. Not really because, you know, there's actually an entire community and population and segment of business that serve coffee that a lot of specialty coffee roasters are not paying attention to, right? And these businesses I'm talking to are all the Asian bent restaurants, bakeries, cafes that also serve coffee, right? Whether they're serving a Vietnamese coffee or they're a boba shop that also has an express machine or an Asian bakery that focuses on Asian treats and they also serve coffee, right? And also with this wave of first generation, you know, entrepreneurs, there are a lot more restaurants, whether it's a Vietnamese restaurant or a Thai restaurant or, you know, an Asian bay restaurant that also serve coffee, right? So I've, I've actually gotten a lot of inbounds since we launched because prior to my company launching, I think a lot of people were using, the most common products people were using for their Vietnamese coffee were Cafe Du Monde, um, which is not a Vietnamese coffee brand. And I, and I don't even know where they get their coffee beans from because it's not clear anywhere on their packaging or website. Uh, it's also not like a fresh roasted like coffee brand and or um, products from Vietnam, which are imported from Vietnam, um, that are that state on the packaging that it also includes artificial flavorings and ingredients, right? So there actually hasn't been an, a, a product like Vietnam Coffee Supply that is direct trade, imported and roasted fresh in Brooklyn, Vietnamese coffee beans. So but there were all these, these businesses that were serving the idea of Vietnamese coffee. And so it's kind of like I've kind of offered a, a new iteration or an improved product for something that already existed. And none of these in the, these coffee roasters, no one was speaking to this demographic. And so in that in that space, um, it hasn't been a hard sell. People, the inbounds actually, people actually reach out to us all the time because there's not a lot, there aren't a lot of options. But if I was trying to approach like, a coffee shop or hotel, right? That may be serving more of like a bigger roaster Then that is definitely a harder sell. Um, not just because of the beans, because I think with all of our storytelling, we've been able to really, I don't know if you've seen our articles, our press articles, but 
there there's a huge culture shift now happening everything from cnn writing recently why the world wake up to be meets coffee like matador network wrote recently like it's it's past due that we respect these coffee beans so there is a culture shift happening and i think the more storytelling that we're able to to push the more people are like whoa what is this Vietnamese coffee bean i actually kind of want to have this like unique product in my shop now right so and and i think as that grows that will become less difficult the only thing the main thing is difficult for us right now um to support to kind of compete with other roasters is because we're so small we don't we can't offer like the whole um, array of services like tech support or like free machines or, you know, 24-7 maintenance. Like that's the thing that's kind of holding us back the most with the traditional coffee hotel space. I want to go back on something you said about the attention that the media has paid attention to you folks, because you're right. Like when I was doing research uh, before we started talking, there are dozens of articles about Vietnamese coffee, about you specifically. And I wonder like, what is that what has that been like to see Vietnamese coffee receive so much attention and I wonder like how and you've mentioned this a little bit too like how storytelling and like just putting the spotlight on Vietnamese coffee has kind of affected the way that your business can operate and the way that we view Vietnamese coffee in general yeah that's such a great question um like was it surprising like because I'm I'm I was looking at the articles that have been written about you. And I'm like, I can't think of a lot of other coffee companies that have been so well covered. Thanks, Ashley. Um, Yeah, it, it does surprise me. And honestly, it is the, the greatest joy of this job to, to have, you know, this, to have our narrative and our perspective being amplified like this like and honestly actually this is this is the reason why i started the coffee company it's not because i want to get into one of the hardest industries of learning how to import and roast and you know sell coffee means like it i mean that's a small part of it but really like in my heart it's because i just cared so much about increasing representation for vietnamese um, people, producers, culture, and coffee, right? Like that is like my true mission. And I'm using coffee, a very, you know, globally um, shared experience to, as a platform to get there. And so when I see like these headlines, honestly, actually, sometimes I just, I just, I kind of like freak out inside because I'm like, holy shit, it's happening, right? And that it's happening is not about my business is growing. The it's happening is, the fucking shift is happening. Like the culture shift is happening. These old ways of thinking that put Vietnamese coffee and people and culture down is changing, right? People are starting to appreciate Vietnamese coffee. Now people are starting to respect it. Vietnamese people and culture producers are starting to get recognition. Like that is happening. And that just, it just gives me chills to to and to think to see the shift yeah. happening and it's happening like in this moment and then i just feel such a deep sense of gratitude for all the writers all the people who take the time to listen and take the time to write and to amplify and to share um so yeah it's been it's really i don't even have all the words to describe this feeling but it's it's been such an incredible joy to 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 be able to play a role um, in like honoring Vietnamese people and culture through coffee. I mean, it's that that's incredible. It's incredible to to feel like I imagine it must be incredible to feel like you're doing a thing and people are noticing it and you're like, yes, like I'm on the right track, like I'm doing something because I imagine like you can have self confidence always and you can be like, I know I'm doing the right thing, but there mm-hmm. is like. There is like a deep validation to feeling like, oh, other people are also noticing it and also give a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, the articles about us, it's not they're not just product focused. It's not like check out this new company that is producing this really cool coffee. Right. It's not about it's the fact that these articles and the way they're the way that people are understanding us or the way they're writing about us, it's a really about a global movement and a global shift, right? Like that's what I think is so empowering about this process. Um, Cause it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, Oh, here's a new cool company and here's a new cool product. It's 
the the headlines are so culture shifting and, and it has such a deep, deep impact, you know, for the industry, for producers and also for consumers. Like, I can't even tell you how many like amazing messages I get from, you know, consumers who are generally Asian American or more specifically Vietnamese American. And so many times actually people write to me and they say three words that just blow me away. And they say, I feel seen, right? And these are Vietnamese Americans and Asian Americans, you know, like a lot of POCs, people, communities of color, you know, we deal with lack of representation in the media all the time, in leadership position, in government, in business. And that that lack of representation is so deep that when they see their name um, reflected on a coffee bag, they're like, I feel seen, right? And that level of impact is also just so deeply rewarding for me because, you know, my work, if you looked at my work before I started a coffee company, it's always been rooted in representation and community empowerment. So that, that has been really incredible for, for me to experience this journey. Uh, so just because, you know, we're in this moment in time, um, I think it's kind of hard to ignore and, uh, we talked a little bit about it. Um, but coronavirus has obviously affected pretty much every coffee company, um, across the nation, across the globe. And I wonder mm-hmm. how that has shifted the way that you've operated your business. Um, cause you're probably set up, I would imagine a little bit better than most just because you do a lot of direct to consumer sales. Um, yeah. but I'm also imagining that like, you know, I'm looking at your Instagram account and I'm looking at your social media presence and your website. And I'm like, oh, you guys, like you folks are ready for this moment. Not in a positive way. I don't mean it to, I don't mean it to be, um, like, like, uh, territorial or predatory in any way, but it's like, you also seem to understand that like the shift in how businesses work will be direct to consumers and will rely more on social media. So I wonder like how, number one, how coronavirus has affected you. And number two, like how you posit yourself now as a business um, that is kind of having to look to the future because things are going to be different. Yeah, those are excellent questions. Um, yeah, so we launched, when we launched the company, we launched as a D2C business, as a digital forward company. Um, so we did spend a lot of time building out this infrastructure and this ecosystem of, you know, social media meets content meets commerce. And because, you know, I am at my, at heart, I'm a storyteller, you know, I had a, I've had a career as a filmmaker. I love telling stories. And so, you know, creating content and telling stories through social media and also through our blog, we published like at least two to four new blog posts weekly. Like we love telling stories. Like that's always been such a big part of our business. And, you know, at the beginning of this year, I was like, okay, now I really want to go into the B2B space and I want to grow out the B2B program and I want to, you know, expand our business model in that way. And so we were working on that. And, you know, by, you know, like in February, like B2B sales was like 35% of our revenue. Um, so not totally crip- crippling, but of course, all of that came to a, a screeching halt when all of our retail partners kind of closed their doors. Um, so then when that, as soon as that happened, of course, I was like, I mean, I, as a human, I, I was just freaking out about the world. And then I was also just like really feeling a lot of pain for all of my partners and some of my closest friends in New York are restaurant owners because I used to be a restaurant owner. I'm really, you know, tight with the F and B community here. And so I was just feeling a lot of pain over everything that's happening there. But yeah, so we did quickly pivot. I mean, I was like, and it wasn't like we had to rebuild our business model because we were already D2C. It was just like, okay, now we're putting all the B2B stuff on hold. All of our B2B sales have stopped. Uh, We're not going to do outbound strategy anymore. We're just going to focus all of our energy now back to D2C. Um, But within the D2C space, the shift I was making and then I was talking to my team about this was, you know, it is so important um, that we... um, proceed right now with a lot of compassion and empathy and just thinking about what value we can bring to our digital community, right? Like doubling down, of course, on our core offering, which is coffee. Like how can we bring comfort to people? Yes, coffee. Like that's where we've always done that and we want to continue doing that. But I also just like felt 
understanding like the needs of our community it's like our community they're coffee drinkers and they're coffee drinkers across all industries and across all experiences and all cultures and so we did a lot of thinking around like how else can we support our community during this time and so that included like creating you know um, a lot of content around like self-care for people who are staying home right now um, we created a post around how people could generate some income from home um, you know we're working on creating a list of digital tools for people. Um, we launched a campaign called Make Mornings Better, offering 10 steps to fortify their mornings, everything from like stretching to meditating to, you know, sharing the day with gratitude to doing a power pose, you know. So for us, again, we've we've always been a people-centered company. We've always said about the people first from our producing partners to our consumers. So yeah, during this time, as we did that, that quick pivot into D2C, it wasn't just about like, buy our coffee, you need coffee now. It was like, okay, well, let's, how can we be really empathetic and compassionate right now and add and create value in addition to coffee to support our community? And that's where a lot of the content um, and the content came in. And also this Saturday, we're doing our first um, Zoom, community Zoom session. We we had a monthly event series that where we hosted at our Rosary. But since people can't come together, we're going to start doing um, sessions over Zoom together. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just hearing like all the different ideas that kind of feel like, number one, they're like big pivots, but at the same time, they also feel really natural and organic to the business that you've already created. Um, yeah. As we close out, I was wondering, is there anything that you'd want people to know about you listening to this? Mm. (laughs) Anything that I would want people to know about me? That's a good question, Ashley. No one's ever asked me that. Um, To know about me? Yeah. Who's listening, first of all? (laughs) Uh, Baristas, I think. (laughs) Maybe some other coffee professionals. I don't know. Sometimes people message me and they're like, I love that episode. And I'm like, oh, you listen? That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To know about me, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of drawing a blank, but I want to give you something. What would I want listeners to know about me? I would say in this moment, I'm... I just want to continue to find ways to support people, whether that's my team or, you know, or my family or the community with what I have, you know, that's it. And, and right now, one of the things that I have is leading coffee supply as a platform, you know? So just, yeah, I, I don't know, Ashley, that's a tough question. (laughs) No, that's fair. Um, Something that I'm always, this is like, I feel like this is the part of the conversation if like people don't care about like the weird things that I care about, they can can shut off right now. Um, But (laughs) the things that I'm always really interested in are like the personality traits or like the things that kind of make that kind of define a person um, and not to say that there are certain defining characteristics to every person or that they're yeah. immobile or fixed. Um, but something that I'm really drawn by with you is that like you saw like this, this thing happening and then you kind of just like went for it. It feels like, which is kind of incredible um, and not something to be glossed over. So I wonder like, have you always been that type of person to just like see a problem or see something that you were like, why is it this way? And I'm going to go find out. Mm. I have always been the type of person that love to explore like potential. Like I, I, I always want to see how far I can take it. I always want to see what I can do. And I know exactly where that feeling comes from. I, you know, at a very young age, I just felt like the pain of stereotypes and I felt like the pain of being boxed in, you know, with the model minority myth. Um, you don't know what that is. You can Google that, like, you know, being deemed, a, you know, the model minority myth. But basically I felt like society was just boxing me into such a one dimensional a person of who I could be as an Asian American, as a woman, you know, and I just hated that feeling at such a young age. And I was like, I just, I just want to like smash this box open and just like see how far I can take it. 
So that has always been a part of me. And I think uh, whether it's been through my film career or through starting new class supply, I just, I just love seeing what's possible. And I, I want to keep trying um, to do as much as I can and see how far I can take it before I pass it off to the next generation. You know, like that is something that really excites me. Um, and also one thing that I want people to know in this moment is that, you know, I, I really just want to help, you know, in all aspects. Like I just want to help. Um, I want to help people get through this Corona situation, you know, whether it's donating a part of our sales or starting the Undocumented Workers Fund or um, supporting my team or, you know, helping to shift the culture of music. I just want to help. So if anybody out there wants to do some cool things to help the world, like I'm super open. Thank you for taking time to talk to me. This has been such an incredible, like shared moment. And I'm really appreciative that I got to spend some time with you. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you so much for taking the time to reach out and thank you for listening and thank you for helping to tell our story. That was Sar Nguyen of Nguyen Coffee Supply. You can find more out about Nguyen Coffee Supply by visiting their website, nguyencoffeesupply.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>